Good morning, everyone. Today, we are reading out of Revelation 21, verse 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And behold, he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, for the God that you are, the one who cares for us, who comes down to us, Lord, who seeks us. We thank you for sending your son to live the perfect life in our place, that we may join you in this heaven that is so glorious, Lord, in your heaven. And Lord, may we just remember how glorious you are in every moment here on earth that we have. May we strive to glorify your name but to be soaked in your grace and to remember that you have forgiven our sins, past, present, future, and that we just need to lay everything before the foot of your throne and you will always forgive us. This morning, may you open the eyes of our heart, hearts, mind, and soul to just receive your truth and to receive it with grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you are new, I want to welcome you. If you're not new, I want to welcome you back. I want to give a special welcome to our ASU and GCU students. You guys here? Yeah, you guys are back. It's good to have you guys back. We're excited you're here. We have some exciting things planned for the semester uh, and what we call PBCPM. And so stay tuned for that. If you're new, we'll tell you more about that in the coming in the coming weeks. for everyone today, after the service, we're going to head over to DeSoto Central Market. DeSoto Central Market. Uh, I like to say it's a, a food court for hipsters, um, but it's actually really good. There's lots of space. There's lots of uh, different places and different options to eat, and so we can all go over there and grab tables and get different things to eat. And uh, it's a great time for you to connect, whether you're new or not. And so after church, just a few streets over, we invite you all to DeSoto Central Market. As we get into our time together today, uh, we're in the third week of our series on what we believe. We've said it a couple times throughout this series. We have a book uh, called Christian Beliefs that we think is a good resource for you to grab. I think we have a few copies at our Connect desk right through those double doors to the inside. Uh, It's an exhaustive uh, summary of what we believe as a church and what Christians believe. And so uh, we're not going to hit it all these, these four weeks. And so you can grab that in the back. You can also grab it on Amazon to dig more into that. 
You know, as a church, we're, we're getting ready for the fall. I imagine a lot of you guys are, are getting ready for the fall, and maybe that looks different ways for you. For us as a family, it looks like getting our kids back in school and getting them in their activities, right? So it's a little hustle and bustle, a little crazy at our house right now as we do that. But it's kind of crazy because all these realizations set in about this time every year. Uh, because my son, he's entering into pre-K, which is just crazy. Uh, my daughter is in second grade She's like off the charts for her height. I don't know where she gets that. But these realizations start to come in. And her, her first day at school, one of these came. And uh, she came home first day, really excited. And I said, Neela, how, how was your day? And she says, oh, it was great. I met a new friend. And I said, oh, really? Like, what's her name? And she said, oh, it's not a girl. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. Um, well, uh, you know, how'd that go? And she's like, well, yeah, he, he came up to me and said, uh, I really like your earrings and I really like your shoes. And can I sit by you at lunch? And so after I regained consciousness, I said, uh, okay, well, Neela, what's his name? Yeah, where does he live? And I started planning my weight regimen at the gym for that week. Just kidding, if you're out there, friend of Neela's, I would love to have you and your family at PBC. You're welcome anytime. But there was this realization, right, that, that time is flying by, right? Like, really? She's having these conversations. She's in second grade. Like, time is flying by. And, and you know this in your own life. Maybe some of you, you, you hear those stories about getting ready for school and your kids ready for that. And you think, man, I, time is flying by. Like, my kids are older. They have their own kids that they're doing that with now. Some of you are in college, and you feel like, man, I just graduated high school, but now I'm in my second or third year, and I'm off away from my parents, and you think time is, is flying by. Some of you are deep into your career, and you're working eight to five, and you're like, man, time is flying by. Like, I remember when I was in college, but time is flying by. It seems so far away. And we all say that, and I think when I realize that, there's a few realizations that come to mind, right? One, what really matters Two, cherishing the small things. Like, don't miss a moment. Be present. And maybe some similar thoughts come to mind for you. But I think for all of us, the underlying reality in all of that is this thing's going to end. Right? right? Time is flying by. It continues to do that. And at some point, this life is going to end. And I know we all have moments where we think about that, but they're just brief moments, Right? Like even today, we're talking about what we believe about heaven and hell. And as you walk in here, maybe some of you are just coming back for the fall, and, and you're like, what did I walk into? Like, really? Because we don't like to think about the end, do we? Because there's a fear associated with it. There's a fear of maybe I've done too much. Or, or there's a fear of maybe I haven't done enough. There's more life to live. Or for a lot of us, there's just a fear of like, what is going to happen in the end? I don't know. What you need to know as we look at this today, the Bible is going to address the end, but it also addresses fear, that the most repeated command in all of the Bible is fear not. And so we're going to see, all of us in this room, how we can approach the end and live in light of it without fear. And we're going to do that today as we talk about heaven and hell. We're going to do that starting in Revelation 21. If you're new to the Bible, uh, you just go to the end really easy. You just go to the end. We'd invite you to do that now. You can also look on the screen. But Revelation 21, Julian read it earlier. It says, 
starts out, look at the verse, then I saw, then I saw. So some context as we get into this. This is John, a follower of Jesus. The Bible says John was the disciple who Jesus loved. And so he had a special connection with Jesus. Uh, John actually wrote more than just Revelation. He wrote the Gospel of John. We see the life of Jesus. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he also wrote this book, Revelation. And in chapter 1 of Revelation, don't turn there, but what you see is Jesus shows up to John in resurrected form. We'll come back to that later. But what he tells John is to write down what is now, what he's seen, and then what is to come. And so as we come to Revelation 21, as we fast forward to that, we're reading about what is to come. So in Revelation 19, we have Jesus returning. In Revelation 20, we have him ruling and reigning and judging. And then in 21, we get this picture of heaven. And that's what we're going to talk about as we get started. Um, if you're new to church, let me just say this. We don't talk about the end every Sunday. Um, but we are going to just jump right into some deep waters. And so we just invite you to hang with us. But uh, whether you're new to this or not, as, as you think about the book of Revelation and end times and all of those things that come with that, I want you to hear this, is that John's purpose is not to give us an exhaustive explanation, but a profound invitation. That John is inviting us, as he paints this picture of heaven, he's inviting you and me to see the beauty of God to see the culmination of God's redemptive plan. And so we're going to explain some stuff to you. If you get lost, don't worry about that. We can study it later. We can talk one-on-one. -on -one. But the purpose of today is that you would be invited, right? You would be invited to see the beauty of God, his redemptive plan, and this is the culmination of that. So dive in with me. Look at verse 1 again. It says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new Earth. And so as we do try to explain some things, I want to try to explain this off the top because I think it's one of our most common questions, and that is this, that if this is a new heaven and new earth, and this is the end, what about our end, right? So if you know Jesus and you've lost loved ones and they knew Jesus, we say we believe that they're with Jesus in heaven. And so if this is a new heaven and new earth, how does that work, right? Well, the Bible addresses that. It does it in other places, 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says, when you're away from the body, you're at home with the Lord. So it's the idea that your soul goes to be with the Lord even when your body dies, right? That immediately, if you trust in Jesus, your soul, who you really are, goes to be with God. We see an example of that, the thief on the cross. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Romans 14 says, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And so heaven exists now, and if you trust in Jesus, you will go there when you die, but ultimately there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we don't just see it in Revelation. We see it in Isaiah 65. That's your Old Testament. It talks about that one day there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new city, Jerusalem. So it's the idea that God is preparing a place. And look at verse 2. You see a little bit about that place. Verse 2, it's a holy city. It's the New Jerusalem, same language as in Isaiah 65. And you see this picture that this new heaven, this new earth is coming down, right? Do you see that? It says it's coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus says something similar in John 14. He's going to prepare a place. And so while there is this existing heaven, it's not the end. That he's preparing a new heavens and a new earth that if you know Jesus, you'll get to experience. And that as we look at the whole of the Bible, 
This makes sense. That God redeems you, that he makes you new. Second Corinthians uses that language, right? That he makes you new. And so as we think about heaven and earth, he redeems it. He makes it new just the way he does with us. That verse 2 says it's coming down. And so I don't know what you think about when you think of heaven. I know there's movies. I know there's a lot of paintings. And maybe when you think of heaven, what immediately comes to your mind is floating in the sky, sitting on the clouds, playing a harp, little babies with rosy cheeks, right? And when you think of heaven, that's what you think about. And you think about it at some distant place far off, but that's not what you see in this text. You see a new heaven, a new earth that's recreated, that's redeemed, and it comes down. It's a perfect place. And he goes on to describe more of what that looks like. Look back at verse 1 with me. Verse 1 says, The first heaven and earth has passed away. And it's interesting, it says in verse 1, the sea was no more. And some of you are thinking, like, what, what does God have against the sea? <laughs> well, why is the sea no more? Well, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the sea, and we talked about this Leviathan. Do you remember that? Leviathan. It's this sea creature in Job. It's mentioned in Job, and it, it's the idea of this creature in the day. Maybe it was a big alligator, people think. We're not really sure, but it was this big sea creature that in that day they would have been familiar with this Leviathan. And they would have been fearful of it because if you think about that day, sea was one of their primary ways of transport, right? They couldn't get on a plane, right? And so they had to get on the sea a lot and there's storms on the sea. The sea gets chaotic and it's a very real reality for them that they could fall off the boat and die. And so as John is painting this picture of heaven, this perfect place, he says there's, there's gonna be no more sea because there's gonna be no more danger there's going to be no more chaos. There's going to be no more fear. And in verse 3, he continues to play that out. Verse 3, it says this. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne. He says he hears a loud voice from the throne. I don't want you to miss that phrase. You need to pay attention to that. This, is, uh, this style of announcement was used many times in the book of Revelation. A loud voice from a throne. And then John would give an explanation of what he saw a loud voice from a throne. But this is the last time it's used in this book. It's this big final announcement, unlike any other that we're going to see in the rest of the Bible, that, that something different is happening. And look at what it says. It says, God will be with you. It says, God himself will dwell with you. He says, pay attention. This is the point of it all. That heaven, when we think about the end, that God's going to be there. That it's more about a person than a place. That many times what we do is we try to figure out like streets of gold. Is it going to be here on earth? What's it going to be like? Am I still going to know people? And, it, and it's really more about a person than a place. And it, the person is God. That we will be with him. That he will dwell with us. And so listen, even as I get into this this morning, maybe some of you are already confused. Maybe it's because you haven't been in church, or maybe you've been in church too long, right? Maybe you've watched too many movies, and when you think about the end, you think of Kirk Cameron. For our younger crowd, Nick Cage, right? And you think about TV preachers, and you think about charts and graphs, and you're like, Tim, where are yours? 
I don't see them. Where are yours? And maybe when you think about the end, you think of confusion and you think of debating and you think of distracting, but you don't need to think about any of those things. You need to think about dwelling, right? That the point with a loud voice is that we dwell with God, that all those other voices, that they need to quiet in this moment for you and you need to hear the loud voice of God saying, you will dwell with me and I will be with you. That that's something to look forward to if you believe in Jesus, that that's a point. It's more about a person than a place. And why is that? It's because there's power in his presence to radically renew and restore the place. Do you see that? That it's about the person who can renew the place. And John goes on to describe what that looks like. You see it in verse four, look at the verse. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. It's widely referenced by churches and um, even theologians today and Christians, if you want to dig into more of heaven, you should read it. I would recommend it. Randy Alcorn is, is the guy's name. The book is called Heaven. But in this, he talks about what this might be like. And I, I want to just read it for you and, and let you listen. He says that there will be no more death, no more suffering. There'll be no more funeral homes, abortion clinics, psychiatric wards. There'll be no more rape, missing children, drug rehab, crime, no anger or hurt over feelings of miscommunication, no con men, no locks, no pain, no arthritis, no handicaps, no cancer. This is a really good one. No taxes, no bills for you techies and for our production team, no computer crashes, for you guys that have yards in Phoenix, I know that's rare. No weeds. For you plumbers and people who go to the bathroom. No septic tank backups. But that's true, isn't it? Like it's big things, like there's no more rape, no missing children, no con men, no locks, no pain, no arthritis, no cancer, that all those things are removed. There's no pain, there's no mourning, there's no death, that it's all gone. But that's big things and that's little things, like even the things that annoy you, like even when you stub your toe. Like yesterday I was trying to open my car door with my kids and I hit myself in the face. Like why does that happen? On Thursday, I was watching the Cowboys game and Tony Romo broke his back. No Cowboys fan in here? Okay, well, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Sanctification takes a long time. We have a long way to heaven, but Tony Romo broke his back. Like, why does that happen? Because we are in a fallen state and one day in a future state, God will take all of that away from the most destructive painful death, the things you see on the news that you, you get teary-eyed over, especially in our day and time, the things you see that weigh heavy on you that you don't like to think about, you don't like to talk about, that you flip on the radio or TV because it's too hard to think about, that those things to the little things when you stub your toe, that all of those things will be taken away in heaven. 
Can you imagine that? Do, do you ever stop to imagine that? Do you look forward to that? I mean, I look forward to in my version of heaven that Tony Romo is healthy, right? And that he wins the Super Bowl and everything is right. But that's just me. That's my version, right? Like, what do you imagine when you think about heaven? Like, like the pain in your life, what's been done to you, what you have done, what, what other people have done, the sin, sickness, and strife in our city, in our world. Do you imagine what would it be like if all of that was taken away and replaced by God's peace and joy. C.S. Lewis imagined that. And he said this, that joy is the serious business of heaven. That it will be a place, Randy Alcorn says, where nothing will be eclipsed by joy. That joy, ultimate joy, will exist and that pain won't be anywhere near. And, and I think sometimes, right, maybe when we sing Amazing Grace, right, when you think about there, we'll be there for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, and maybe in those just moments, we think about what this will look like. But often we, we don't, right? We go about our day. And I think a lot of us, we don't think about this or look forward to this because if we're honest, our version of heaven is way too small. Like because of the paintings, because of the movies, because of the clouds and the babies with rosy cheeks, our version of heaven is way too small. And listen, I can relate to that. When I prepared this week, even as I thought about heaven and when I think about it, I think, man, I, I look forward to heaven, but, but not yet, right? Not yet. I'm not quite ready for that yet. I mean, I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them have kids. I want to see them be successful. I want to see them place their faith in Jesus. And I want to experience that part of life. I want to go to Niagara Falls. Never been there before. I still want to do that. Some, some Jesus, you could just hold on a little bit till I go to Niagara Falls, Right? I want to do a triathlon. I don't know that that's going to happen, but keep the dream alive. Right? I have all these things, and you have all these things. Like We think, I, I want to do that one day. Jesus, you're coming back. Heaven's going to be great, but, but not quite yet. And I think that's because our version is often too small, that we don't realize how big heaven is. And as a result, sometimes we think of it as boring, right? Sometimes we think of it like it's an eternal church service, like what we're doing in here is as awesome as it is, as fun as it is, that we'll just do this forever, really? Like how many songs can we sing? I don't even like to sing. And maybe some of you think of that and you think of heaven as boring, not, not big, because your version of heaven is too small. That you need to know as we look at this text, when you see Jesus, look at the text, when he says he's making all things new, that means that Niagara Falls compared to heaven is like a leaky faucet, right? That he is making all things new, that whatever the best emotion, adventure, feeling you think is possible here on earth, that you need to multiply that times infinity, and that's heaven, right? That our version of heaven should be big. That those times when you're at the dinner table with really good friends and you're laughing and you're talking, maybe some of you are college students and you just got back and you hung out last night. And you're like, man, this could go on forever. I miss these guys. I love these guys so much. When you think about heaven, multiply that times infinity. That Jesus is making that new. That we can't even fully comprehend what this is going to be like. 
And so whatever our version is of heaven, I can guarantee you this, it's too small. It needs to be bigger. And that if it was bigger, we would look forward to it. We would look forward to it more. You, You see it in Paul Philippians 1, he says, to die is gain. And some of you hear that and you're like, how can he say that? He says, it's far better to be with Christ than to die is gain. You see a guy named D.L. Moody echo that. He's an old theologian and preacher. He said this. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. That in those sayings, you realize that there's a perfect home coming. That that Jesus talks about it in John 14. He says, heaven is like a house with many rooms that he's preparing for us. And and why a house? Do you ever think about that? Like, why does he compare it to a, a house? I think it's because every one of us longs to be home, don't we? I mean, you think about your kids, you take them to Legoland, you pay all the money, you stand in all the lines, and what do they say? I want to go home. Even as adults, maybe you've been on vacation recently, and maybe it was the most elegant, amazing resort in the world. And after a while of that, what do you eventually say? It'd kind of be good to be home, right? Get back in the routine of things. We all have this longing to be home, and you need to see that heaven is our eternal, perfect home. So listen, enjoy your time on earth. Embrace your loved ones. Explore all the beauties of our creation. Engage in the work of Christ and the mission of Christ. Do all of that while you're here, but don't do it without a view of the end. Don't do it without a a view, a perspective that, that one day, that we'll have a perfect home, that this isn't our home, and that we can look forward to that. That's the picture John is painting for us, and and that we can live that way with confidence. We see it in the second part of verse 5. Look at that verse. It says, also he said, write this down. That's Jesus speaking. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, Those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. He says this will be given without payment. It's a free gift. And he says, it's interesting, he says to give to the one who conquers. And maybe you're thinking, well, like, okay, so we got to do a lot of work to get there. But you need to know when you look at scripture, Romans 8 says about believers in Jesus that we are more than conquerors. How? Through Christ. That he loved us. That we're more than conquerors. John 11. So same John, same author of Revelation. John 11 quotes Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That we have confidence in heaven, not because of what we achieve or accomplish, but because our belief our faith in Jesus Christ. Not because what we have done, but our faith in Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. And that we can walk with this kind of confidence as we approach the end. This is the hope that we have in Jesus. This is the faith that we have in Jesus. That we don't have to fear 
But you need to know as we keep reading that there's a reality without Jesus. We see it in verse 8. Look at that verse. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. When he says the second death, obviously we die here on earth. The second death means it's eternal. It's, it's forever. That this picture of hell is eternal. We see that in other places. Jesus talks about hell multiple times. He describes it vividly, more vividly than we would probably like. Matthew 25, again, don't turn there, just listen. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That he describes hell as a place where Satan is punished. Matthew 5, he says that some will go to this, Matthew 25, sorry, later in that chapter, he says, some will go to this place of eternal punishment. So it's, it's real. It's a place you can go to. It's not figurative. He goes on to talk about this in Mark 9. He talks about hell three different times in one chapter, and he says this, that it's a place where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Luke 13, he says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so maybe you've heard, well, you know, Jesus doesn't talk about hell. I mean, Jesus loves. Like all the little children come up to Jesus because Jesus loves. He doesn't talk about hell. You haven't read the Gospels. Jesus talks about hell multiple times. And listen, that's not to get you excited about Jesus because he talks about hell. I didn't get excited to read that off to you. It's not something that we champion, but it is a reality that we see in Scripture, and we see it even with Jesus, and it's a terrible place. I want you to see this. I'd love for you to write this down if you have a pen, if you're taking notes. That hell is eternal pain, not momentary pleasures. That hell is eternal pain, not momentary pleasures. That it's eternal. Hebrews says you die, and then there's judgment. And it's pain, not pleasure. Like some of us, when we think about hell, and it's depicted in some of our movies, that we think like it's our most indulgent, sinful pleasure forever, right? It's like the nightclub that never ends. No consequences. We're buddy-buddy with Satan. And you need to know, Jesus said earlier that Satan's not ruling hell. He's punished in hell. So that idea that this is going to be a pleasureful place, instead of the harps and the babies, we'll get to do whatever we want in hell, that that's not the picture that we see in Scripture, that it's pain, that it's not the pleasure of sin, it's the pain of sin. And it's forever, that it's eternal, that it never ends. Jesus in the Gospels, again, said, don't be afraid of the one who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And you think about that day, you think about the persecution that they would experience for following Jesus to their bodies. You think about Jesus who was crucified on a cross with his body. And he's saying, don't fear the one who can hurt the body. Fear the one that can put the body and the soul in hell. He's saying, if you think this is bad, this torture that we don't even experience to our bodies, if you think this is bad, hell is way worse. And so it's not the pleasure of sin. If you've thought that, that's inaccurate from Scripture. It's not the pleasure of sin. It's the pain of it. It's the mourning after. 
It's the brokenness. It's the weight. And it never ends. And that's the picture that, that Jesus paints. And I know a lot of us struggle with this. Maybe even as I say that, you're like, Tim, come on. This is our, my first Sunday. Really? Like, come, can you lighten up just a little bit? Because in the back of our minds, as we think about this, we think, how could God be so hateful? How could God be so hateful? But you need to know, as we look at the whole of Scripture, that hell is the result of the horror of sin, not a hateful God. That God is completely and utterly holy. He's perfect. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And that he's a just judge, which means that he can't let sin go unpunished. That all of sin and all of history in the economy of God, it gets paid for. That there's punishment for that. And so maybe as you look across the spectrum of our world today and you see all these bad things that happen. You see rapes, you see murder, you see hate, you see racism, you see brokenness in your own life. I know yesterday I was looking at the uh, Yahoo page just to check my email. And the, the headline, maybe you saw this, was two nuns in Mississippi murdered. Nuns. Two of them in Mississippi murdered. And you see stuff like that. And you see stuff in Phoenix. And you think, God, how could you let this happen? God, you have to do something. Like, when are you going to do something? And you need to know he's going to do it for eternity, and it's a place called hell that he will punish all of that, that nothing wrong will go unpunished, that Jesus will handle it all, and it's a place called hell and some of you think about your lives and you're like, well, I'm not that extreme. I mean, I don't have those kind of things in my life. I would never do anything like that, like I read on the news. But it's in your heart that Romans says that none is righteous, no one seeks God, that hell is a choice we make, that people want to go their own way. C.S. Lewis, again, said this, that there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. He says that all that are in hell choose it because no one is righteous. No one seeks God. That all go their own way. And so you need to know that, that hell is not a place because God hates. That hell is a place because of the horror of sin. That it's the punishment for that. And this isn't to scare you. It's to sober you. I think of my childhood growing up. And I think of this thing that I went to as a, as a young kid at a church called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And uh, I don't know if you ever went to anything like this. Maybe it was called something different. But when I, I went to these things, they would talk about hell in very vivid ways. And they would blaze up the torch, right, and make sure it was really hot. And everybody would believe in Jesus. Like even the counselors would recommit their life to Christ, right? Because they're like, well, I don't want to go there. And they would be scared into believing in Jesus. I remember one time my wife and I, later in life, we, got, we were married and we were driving home late, late at night. And in the road, we see ambulances and police cars and we see the orange cones blocking everything off. And we're like, oh my gosh, like what? I wonder what happened. And they were blocking off like two streets. And as we get closer to go around this and, and other people are going around this, it was one of those events. <laughs> it was one of those events. I don't know if they got like permits for that or not, but, but they were doing that. And I was thinking like people could die and go to hell because of what you guys are doing because it's so dangerous, right? 
And so I don't know if you went to those things. I don't know if you think about hell like that, even as I talk about it. But you need to know the purpose is not to scare you. It is to sober you, though. It's to sober us, that we would think clearly about the end, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. My daughter, who is in second grade, who is seven years old, was talking to me the other day, and we've been talking a lot about heaven and hell around our house lately. And so she asked me, she said, Daddy, do other people know about hell? Like people who don't believe in Jesus, do they know about hell? And I said, well, yes, sweetie, some people do and choose to go their own way. And some people choose not to believe that it exists. Seven years old, you can tell she's, she's thinking about this, right? She's pondering what that means. And her response was this. She says, um, she says you know, if, if mommy didn't believe in Jesus, I would force her to believe. Because I don't want mommy going to hell. She had it right, didn't she? I mean, not the forceful part. We can't force people to go to hell, I mean, to, to trust in Jesus. We can't force either one of those. God does all that. But we can't force people to believe in Jesus. But she had the right idea, didn't she? That it's a sobering reality to think about the random people that we don't know, the people that are close to us in life. Like, do they know about hell? Like, if somebody was in a street and they were going to get hit by a Mack truck, like, would we yell out and say something? I think we would. I think we'd have some urgency about us. And the purpose of talking about hell, even for our purposes this morning, is not to scare. It's not to scare you into believing if you don't know Jesus, but it is to sober you. It's to sober you towards faith. That you don't have to fear that you can have faith in Jesus and that if you already have faith in Jesus, that you would proclaim that faith with an urgency. Because the reality is there's people who don't know about hell. They don't know about Jesus and they need to know. We need to love them enough to, to tell them. And as we think about the end, we don't know when it's coming for us, right? We think about the end. I haven't checked the stats this morning, but last I checked, the mortality rate is still hovering over 100%. Like we have a lot of different kind of personalities and preferences and people in this room, but one thing we all have in common, unless Jesus returns before then, we're all going to die. And we don't know when it's coming. Psalm 103 alludes to this. It says that man flourishes like a flower and then blows away like the wind. And you see that in our culture. You see it with old and young. Uh, my mom, she has two siblings. They both just died in the past four to five months. She lost both of her siblings and she kind of knew some of it was coming and maybe at some point soon, but it happened in a matter of months. And she got to go to both funerals and just a few months of both of her siblings. Because you don't know when the end is coming, do you? She didn't plan for that. None of us planned for that. Now, they were believers in Jesus. We got to celebrate them and celebrate that they are in heaven with Jesus. And so we see that. We see it with older people. We also see it with younger people. I have friends from high school who aren't with us today. You have friends from high school who aren't alive anymore. right? Maybe people close to you, maybe even more recently, that we don't know when the end is coming. That's why in the Bible it says salvation is now. It's, it's for today. That today is the day of salvation. That don't wait. That there is an urgency. And as we think about heaven, as we think about hell... 
It sobers us. And you all see that in your life. And so we need to have fear go away. And we need to instead have an urgent faith. We need to not scare people. We don't need to be scared. But you need to be sobered. I love this picture in Revelation chapter 1. It's the beginning of this book. Jesus shows up to John for the first time. And it says this in verse 17 of Revelation 1. It says, John says, when I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. That Jesus has the keys. That he holds the future. And so we don't have to be fearful. We need to be faithful. We need to put our trust in him and we need to proclaim that to everybody we know. You know, as I thought about the way to apply all this, this is a lot, right? It's just heavy. As we think about the end, heaven and hell, I just thought, man, I have perspective. A lot of you guys have perspective, but I think there's some other people who have more perspective than we do that can see like in light of the end, like how should this affect how we live today? And so there's a friend of mine named Robert Watson. He was here just a few weeks ago preaching. Some of you may remember him. And uh, I just called him this week because there's this, guy, there's this gal in his church named Rosa. And she was born in 1915. A little bit more experienced than me and you, right? Uh, she's seen a lot. She has a great perspective on life. And she's a believer in Jesus. And she's toward her end, Right? And so they interviewed her, and I thought about this interview, and I just thought, man, Robert, can we show this to our church? Because it would be perfect for what we need to see in her perspective as we apply this to our life. And so we're going to play that video now and turn your attention to the screen. It's awesome. Can you guys thank Rosa? Can you thank Rosa? Can we thank Rosa? <laughs> My favorite part of that is uh, her stuffing the bulletins for church. And um, if you're not serving, that should motivate you, right, to serve. <laughs> Even Rosa can stuff bullets since we all can do something. Um, but really, I, I want to learn from some other things. I want to help her kind of just guide and, and what we've heard already from Scripture. Guide, how do we live this out? We've heard a lot of things about heaven, the beauty of what it's going to look like, the culmination of God's redemptive plan. We talked about hell and the pain of that. How do we live in light of that? I just want to give you a few things. Some of these uh, come from Rosa, um, a couple others as well. So, how do we live this? The first one is this, that we would consider that day as we live this day. That comes from Martin Luther, the great theologian. He said there's two days on his calendar, this day and that day. Uh, meaning that the decisions, investments, the priorities of your life today, that you would see eternity. Right? And so that means if you're not a Christian, that you would look right at me, that you could stop listening to me, you could start talking to Jesus, and you could put your faith in him. That you, you think about the end and you think about that day, that you wouldn't let this day go by without placing your faith in Jesus, right? You would do that now and have some urgency about that. If you do know Jesus, that we would love people well and serve people often. Rosa gave us some great examples of how to do that. All of us can do that in different ways collectively as a church, individually, that we would take moments throughout our day to see beyond ourselves, right? We would look to others and we would try to love them and serve them well in light of eternity. And then lastly, Rosa said it best, that we would help people get to where we're going. That time is flying by. Whether you're a college student, if you're older, if you're younger, that time is, is flying by. That at some point this will come to an end. 
And so how can we help? If you know Jesus, how can we help collectively as a church? How can we get to work, love people, serve people, and proclaim Jesus to them to help them get to where we're going? That we would have that kind of urgency, that we wouldn't force people to believe, but we would get really close, right? That we would grab them after the service, we would make a phone call, we would serve, we would do something this week, today, to proclaim Jesus. That he is risen, that he has victory, that we don't have to have fear, that we can have faith in him. That we would, as a church, proclaim that. That you don't have to fear because time is flying by. You don't have to fear the end. That you can have faith. Why? Because there is joy awaiting you and that Jesus has the keys. He holds the future and we just need to trust him. Let's do that as we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for Rosa. I thank you for her testimony of how she is seeing the end, of how she's seen her life in view of eternity. And God, I pray that for all of us in this room, different ages, different backgrounds, maybe this is our first time in church, that we would have an appropriate response to the end. That for some of us who don't know you, that means right now talking to you and saying, Jesus, I believe in your life, in your death, in your resurrection, on my behalf. I trust in you. I give my life to you that I don't want to go another day without experiencing a relationship with you. For some of these men and women, that needs to be their response. For those that, that do know you, God, that we would have a sense of urgency, the way we order our priorities, the way we invest what we spend our time on, God, that it would be loving and serving other people well, that it would be proclaiming our faith that we have been given in you, that other people would see that also. God, we wouldn't waste time on sin, selfishness, or other circumstances that don't add up to anything at the end. God, you would give us an urgency. So I pray that for these men and women. God, I pray that you would give us an urgency to sing that you do say that there is, there's much to sing about in heaven because of all the joy we experience, because we'll see Jesus face to face, that, that we won't need the sun because he will be shining like the sun. God, I can't imagine what that looks like, but God, I pray in these next few moments we would try and we would sing and respond and worship out of that truth. God, help us to see Help us to respond. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.